to Co-op Energy Talk. I'm Rachel Johnson, the Member Relations Manager here at Cherryland Electric Cooperative. As part of our 2020 re-envisioning of the podcast, one of our ideas was to do podcasts from the road. So in late February, early March, Tony attended the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association's annual meeting. We thought it would be a great opportunity to record a podcast. That annual meeting is an, uh, and it's an annual event where representatives from co-ops across the country come together to engage with each other, learn from one another, learn from our national organization, and also to take care of the annual business of our national organization. While he was there, he took a few minutes to sit down with some leaders from co-ops across the country. So before we switch you over to that podcast, let me take a second to introduce you to the two gentlemen who joined him. Dick Johnson is the CEO of West River Electric in Wall, South Dakota. He's worked with electric cooperatives for 27 years in various roles, uh, many of them related to finance. Shane Larson is the CEO of Rock Energy Cooperative in Janesville, Wisconsin, and he's worked with electric cooperatives for 35 years. In addition to the work he's done at his home co-ops, he's also served on the Federated Rural Electric Insurance Board of Directors and various other national committees. And I know you all know Tony, but let me just take a second to let you know that he has worked with the electric cooperatives for 37 years. And in addition to working for co-ops across the country as CEO, he served on the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association Board of Directors for several years, and he's currently serving as the secretary treasurer of that board. So combined, these three gentlemen you're about to hear from have literally just shy of 100 years of electric co-op experience. So there's there's much we can learn from them. So let's listen in as they discuss what they've seen over the years and what trends they believe we should be watching as we prepare for the future. All right, we're, we're just going to talk a little bit about uh, co-ops and uh, some past history and some outlook at, at the future. So the first thing we want to talk about is the changes we've seen over our career. Anybody want to go first? Shane? Well, I would say probably the biggest has been where 75% of our cost goes on the power supply. Used to be able to have a fixed price with your power supplier. In our case, in Wisconsin, we're not part of a GNT. We buy directly from an investor-owned, and we used to negotiate a price. But now it's a market rate, or a it's a rate based on a formula. So whatever it costs them, they just roll that out to us. So that, that's been a big change when it represents so much of our balance and income statement. And that's 75% of every dollar you spend. That's correct. What yeah. was it uh, 35 years ago? Or, or when you started at Rock, which is... Well, I started back in Nebraska right. with the public power district, and it was probably, because we were significantly smaller in back in Seward, we were, it was probably closer to 50% yeah. of our cost. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're 72% right now, yeah. or 70% than we used to be in the 60s. Dick? As far as power cost side, ours is probably at about the 55% range. Today? Uh, today, Okay. Yeah. So compared back to the early years, I guess I can't, I don't remember, but it hasn't shifted a lot over the years in our case. Uh, so that's that's been, a, I guess, a positive, at least it's been fairly easy. Explain why it hasn't shifted. You have a unique source of power that uh, Shane and I don't have. Our, our power supply, we get 15% of ours from Western Area Power, which comes off the hydroelectric dams on the Missouri River. Mm -hmm. And that's a low-cost power source, which I wish we could have about 90% of it versus the other 85% that we get from Basin Electric Power Cooperative. It's a lot higher price. Electricity, but blended together, it ends up at about 55%. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I see is besides the power supply side, I was thinking about this question was I remember when I started the 
is the technology. Of course, that's pretty obvious how that's changed everything. But I can remember when we the members would send their meter readings in, and we'd bill them a month late. And you'd send them in, and you'd bill them a month late, and life was good, and you had line loss that was unbelievable. And you know, since then it's changed to where we read them every 15 minutes as a interval readings. So we can even get them shorter than that if we want to. And, uh, we get real-time power or real-time readings, and I think that's probably one of the bigger areas because I look more at the, beside the expense side, what's our cash register, and that's our revenue side and how we can build that and build it a lot more real-time than we used to be able to in the past. Yeah, in 1983, I started working at a co-op in South Dakota, and the members actually read their meter, wrote down that reading, then the next month they'd read it again and do the math, and then they'd go to a rate chart and figure out what they owed us and sent it in. It was my job to take those envelopes and checks and make sure they did it right. And we've come a long ways. We certainly have. No billing in your past, Jane? A lot of billing in my past, yeah. It was uh, similar where the members, he had a five-digit box or five boxes that they had to fill in and send the meter readings back. But the, the rate structures were so simple. Uh, right. You know, back in Nebraska, it was either residential three-phase or irrigation primarily. We did we hardly had any demand uh, billings. And now we're dealing with, you know, going back to the, the technology side of it, you've got, uh, we're built on an hourly coincidental peak against our investor-owned peak. So we're, we're trying to predict that. And then with that comes pretty sophisticated rates. Um, but, so we're trying to match up their billing structure to our billing structure, and yeah, I mean that, that's a fundamental shift. Um, do you think it, Do you think members understand the rates any more today than they did 20 years ago? I think the member that I have that's a large, I've got I have one that's a 15 megawatt load. They they understand it very very well, but no, I think I think that uh, you know we compete on a rate. Uh, understanding with cell phones, uh, where it's just kind of one flat bill, they're, they used to be billed for usage on cell phones, and uh, not anymore. I, I don't know, what do you think uh, the average person, the typical residential person even looks at their, their electric bill? It's probably a small percent. Yeah, a very small percent. Yeah. I think they just look at what the bottom line is, and that's what it is. And if it goes up, they'll maybe scream and holler other ways they don't. Our commercial side, I would agree with you, has taken a lot more interest. I feel in what their bill is and how they can do better, and what we what we've seen. And I, you know, we've noticed a, when we look at our average usage on a per member basis, per meter basis on our commercial side, is markedly lower in the last ten years. I just cannot get over it. You know, everything under a megawatt and smaller has just been phenomenal. Our residential is fairly flat as far as on a per meter basis, but our commercial has got a marked decrease in average usage, which really just presented some challenges that a lot of co-ops have already faced, but we really need to take a hard look at. When commercial sales go down, you have to make that somewhere else. Yeah. And it's hard yeah. to make that up on the residential side. A lot of that's came from yeah. LED lighting, and that's Absolutely. where they've taken their bill, and they've looked at it, they've evaluated it, and they're, you know, they're putting in new LED lighting, you know, efficient heating and cooling and refrigeration, it's unbelievable. Yeah. What have you seen uh, as far as equipment goes? I moved to Wyoming in, what was it, 1991, and we didn't have one bucket truck. About 93, 94, we bought our first bucket truck for 20000 I think I just bought one in Michigan for 250000 What have you guys seen as far as equipment? 
Uh, we're, we're right there with you. I mean, uh, the, the governmental re uh, requirements on fuels have added a uh, significant amount. And, and plus, you've got these wait times. You go out and order these bucket trucks or digger trucks, and you're waiting, at least in our case, we're well, well over a year. Yep. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's 250, close to $300,000. And uh, fortunately, at least uh, my board of directors, I think, you get them out here around Tech Advantage, they see these big pieces of equipment, how expensive they are. It's not so shocking. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's a reality. But yeah, it's certainly a lot safer. I think, um, I think some of my guys might have a hard time finding their hooks. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to make the comment is they don't climb as near as much as they used to. And Which isn't a bad thing. Gear, no, right. it's not a bad yeah. thing from a safety perspective. And for comp vendors, I think it's definitely made a huge difference. Yeah, for sure. Looking back, we've had a lot of big things happen over over the years, or or proposed big things. What are some of the next big things that never happened, like deregulation? You know, we were going to have competition from everywhere. That didn't happen. How did you handle that at your co-ops? Well, you know, in our case, I guess you know deregulation. I can remember shortly after I got into the program. And we were pushed hard that we needed to sell propane, we needed to sell everything to in order to stay around and, and we evaluated at the time and decided not to do it. And I look back and think that was probably not a bad idea at the time. And, and I still think there's a little bit of it and when you're looking at the future, there's more and more of the we're somewhat deregulated but not deregulated and then you see a lot of the a lot of behind the meter type stuff that's happening with smart thermostats and all that type of stuff and I think we really need to, maybe it's not necessarily deregulation, we need to take a hard look at. Um, I did chuckle real quick, we just talked about this in return 2020, we got to laughing about, remember the year 2000, Y2K? Oh yeah. We happened to mention that New Year's about <laughs> how we spent our New Year's, we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars I think on upgrades in 1999 and then yeah. we spent New Year's Eve at at the co-op office and nothing happened so yeah that that would be one really big thing that never happened we did the same thing we had a christmas party at the co-op because we didn't think anything was going to happen but you just didn't know so there we were all at the office just waiting yeah. for midnight but that was because we were prepared we yeah, had exactly. plenty of time and lots of code was changed to, to accommodate that yeah uh, you know you talk about dreg it, it we have about 75% of our meters down in Illinois, and that is a deregulated state, at, even today. Mm -hmm. It hasn't worked out. In fact, the government, the Attorney General advises the, the citizens, and, the, and they did some aggregation with communities, and they come out and say, don't do it anymore. So it, it played well for a while, you know, that dereg. Even on the commercial side? Even on the big time see, on the commercial see, we, side. We have competition in Michigan on the commercial side today. And RGT has about over 20 customers that are commercial customers that came from an IOU, but uh, nobody came to serve the residential customer because the sales weren't there. Yeah, that's where the aggregation yeah. came in. Now the the co-ops, for the most part in Illinois, didn't didn't participate, didn't open up their territory, so uh, that that didn't come into play. But we could we could stand. It's kind of like not getting into some of these other ancillary things. That it, it turned out to be a good thing, not diving into it. And I, I think there's a lot. There's some very important lessons there. You know, kind of. You know, you hear stay in your lane, don't get ahead of your skis, that kind of thing. Yep. So, 
we do we do what we do we, we yeah. do electricity and we do it well yeah so and, that, and that's the challenge is that, that what we do Lisa I feel like we do really well is we deliver electricity what's getting more complicated is procuring and pricing electricity is going to be even more complicated with the DG in the in the mix and, and what uh, uh, what our members expect from we, that, that large load that we've got, they're looking at a 15 megawatt battery behind the meter. It's like, yeah, those are those are things that 35 years ago we never pondered. Mm -hmm. yeah. Anything else that didn't, big thing that didn't happen? Solar energy was big 20 years Where's ago. Where's fuel cells in that? H-Power. Yeah. H-Power was a hydrogen fuel cell company. Yeah that was going to revolutionize the, the industry. Everybody was going to have a fuel cell in their yard and the co-op was going to be out of business. And that got back to your propane. They were talking about propane fueling the, the hydrogen. Yeah, for the hydrogen for the fuel cells. So. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I thought about too that was, at least in our area, in our rural areas, was the small wind turbines, the little, you yep. know, 1500. The, the backyard window. Yeah, yep, that was going to revolutionize the way electricity was. And, and we actually had a developer in our area that put in a, he had little 10 acre lots and he put in small wind turbines. That was one of his selling points. And as soon as the people would buy the house, we'd get the phone call and say, our developer told us that we wouldn't even have an electric bill. Look, we've got, and so one guy called me and he made the story. He said, I've sat here and I penciled this out before he bought the house. He said, if I take that wind turbine down, I sell it on eBay. He said, I can just about pay for my new garage. I said, yes, you can. So he took his wind turbine down, sold it on eBay, and built himself a garage <laughs> instead of putting up with it. So that was one thing that has never developed in our area. It started out with a bang, and, and it's pretty much disappeared. And that's something that never changes. Now the solar guys are doing yeah, that. They're, exactly. They're exactly. selling home, home systems and telling them they'll never have a bill. And that's not coming to fruition. I mean, I think utility scale and solar is growing, but mm -hmm. the individual home solar, I haven't seen. And then we get the call and we're, we have to work harder to meet their expectations yep. and get them to understand that yeah. we are the expert, or as Curtis said today, the investor. Yeah. and become mm -hmm. a trusted energy expert. We have about 60 or 80 uh, individual solar systems at member homes. How many do you guys have? We have less than 12. Less than 12. Yeah. And out of how many meters? About 20,000 electric meters. Okay. Yeah. We've got about 50 units between a few small wind ones left and then some solar. And you're how many meters? 18,000. So 18,000, we got 40,000, 38, I'm doing the math. Yeah, 35. That's a high penetration. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, 75,000 meters. And, and why do you think that is for you guys? For me, I think it's the cost and people don't want to mess with it. People want their electricity and they want it now and they don't want to have an inverter in their garage or worry about when the sun goes down and mess with batteries. They want simple. That's what electricity has always been. It's been easy and it's been simple. And you complicate it when you put all that stuff on your roof and in your garage. Most of the ones that we see are small systems that are, it's guys do it just for a passion for something to do. A few of them we see on, on well type services. We see a few on garages that are separated, but they'll use that as a source for power sometimes. But otherwise, most of the homeowners are not really diving into it very much, the ones we have. We, we changed our kind of a philosophy when it came to members wanting to sell back to us we took it as hey now you want to do business with us you, you know up to this point for 85 years we were 
selling you something. Now you want to sell us something. So we've got to, we kind of rearranged and said, hey, you're going to match our power supply structure, which means coincidental demand and low energy rates. And so it's kind of been a disincentive up to this point without net metering in the yeah, truest if, if sense of a net metering. If you don't subsidize it, yeah. there, there's, the profit isn't there. Yeah, we took the no. view of we wanted to be agnostic. You know, we don't care what you, we don't care if you turn your breaker all your breakers off or you throw something on. But if you throw something on and sell it back, then that's now we got a different relationship. Yeah. So what is your meter charge then? Your availability charge? <laughs> it's nineteen dollars. Okay, so we're at eighteen. Yeah. Twenty-six. Twenty-six. Yeah. Which is. Yeah, you know, because we, we should be higher. We, we should, should be, be higher. closer to twenty six. So if you're net metering, yeah. you're really subsidized. Exactly. Case, yeah. So yeah. Exactly. We're only about half of what our actual cost of service should be at our fixed charge, but we also butt up against an investor own that's you know ten bucks. So we're gonna play that into that game too. Yeah. Has the investor owned ever tried to buy you, or have people ever wanted to say, let's sell the co-op to the investor owned because their power is cheaper? No comment. No, they've never. No one's yeah. ever approached us on that. It's yeah. been pretty good. We've had a good relationship with them overall. Have we ever been approached? Well, actually, in 2007, we bought an investor-owned utility, yeah. so it was a little bit different. They wanted to get out of the state of Illinois because it was so heavily regulated. They weren't making any money. They had actually, they were coming to the end of a 10-year rate freeze that the uh, Illinois legislature imposed, which is uh, in the era of high, higher costs and rate freeze, it's not it's not, not a way to make a lot of money when you're losing on a per kilowatt hour basis, so. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty rare. All right, I don't even know if it's ever happened for an IOU to, to buy a co-op in the last 30 years. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's usually like your situation, it's the other way. Yeah, The IOU yeah. wants to get out of a losing business, so they sell it to a co-op, and that's what we do is try to make some money off, off of it. Great. Uh, given everything that you've seen at your age, Shane, your and Dick, Shane, Shane's do, do Iron Walls show up on? Yeah, Shane's a lot older than Shane's a lot older than Dick. And, Who has the greatest hair? Well, I have the greatest hair because I'm the most stressed. Because <laughs> I have to be friends with people like you. <laughs> I'll tell you a story about Tony. I played football against him in high school. Did, oh, didn't right? even know it. Yeah, we go back to 1979 no in South Dakota. Yeah. yeah. Was it like four man, five man? Football? That would be nine man. Played nine. Nine man. Uh, yeah. yeah, we didn't water the grass back then either. <laughs> it really was five yards in a cloud of dust. Yeah, or the probably no stadium lights. It was the lights from the cars surrounding the football uh, field. As it, as we, it got we had a few lights, except when you went we, to Buffalo. Yeah, you had to play. We played some afternoon games out in the prairie because yeah. we didn't have lights. But, yeah. yeah, one game a year. Way before so, electricity. Yeah. So now that we've been way back. What are you looking at going forward? What's the risk to electric co-ops moving forward in the next 5, 10, 20 years? What are you worried about? I don't know if I'm worried about, I guess it would be worries I'll start out. I, I, the thing that we're working hard with is member expectations and member engagement. And try to get. I know we talked earlier about they don't really care about their bill, but we like to get them in, involved in our cooperative so they understand when they get approached by solar or any of these types of things that they become engaged and i think we found that instead of the traditional they come to us you know we're working harder to go to them 
you know, annual meetings, we've scaled those back a little bit. We still have those traditional members that we want to connect with, no doubt, but you know, we've gone to more appreciation days, tailgating events, you know, have a ball game, we'll serve at that or give away. The other night we did a t-shirt throw at a ball game and, and handed out some things just to try to get our name out there and continue to try to engage more with them. More member advisory committee work, just trying to get them to understand what the co-op is about so they'll, they'll be on our side if we do have issues, you know, legislatively or whatever it is when investor own gets more aggressive. I just, I just feel it's very important. And then going back again to all everything that's behind the meter, we need to be make sure they call us first instead of going out and trying to listen to developers or people selling stuff. So it's, it's kind of the same model we've had for the last 80 years. Stay in touch with your customer and be there for them and, and take care of them. I think before most of them in our case were ones that remember when the lights came on or really appreciated because they were from a small town. We serve a large urban area. They have no idea, you know. They most of a lot of our members barely remember what the internet was a thing, you know, and, and much less electricity. So I think that's made a different dynamic. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of uh, it's kind of funny in the sense that that. Having done this for so long, power costs or those things that we're just kind of really accept. long time in your case. Yeah, very long time. But I, how long were you? Thirty-seven. So younger. Yeah, but so we, we're we're more comfortable with those things that we think we understand. Power costs seventy-five percent, but yet those things that seem to cause, at least for me and and my team, the most stress are some of these social media issues that we it's when you don't have control that it seems to be the most stressful um, even even when you've got an ice storm that rolls through or high winds or something like that you know that's just part we understand that we've been doing this a long time eventually people get a little bit frustrated being off but then they turn to the social media side and you all of these different paths, these different apps, these ways of communicating, it 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 uh, gets a little bit worrisome. Is how how are we going to stay ahead of it? Just like you said, Dick, you, you're out there and you hope you develop that trust. But we have approximately 200 new members every every uh, month. You know, every it, month, kind of in and out. You okay. know, yeah, okay. yeah. And most of those people have never ever been on a co-op they don't care about capital credits there's going to be these uh, like there's a neighborhood app that we saw a lot of action on and but how it's how, how do you how do you group those together how do you try to participate effectively um, you know we, we, we all talk about Facebook but I've got four kids in their 20s and they don't use Facebook anymore. Do you have anybody at your co-op who is on Facebook or whatever the social media channel yes. is yeah. where your members are congregating? Well, I mean, it, they can start these groups in, a, in just a few clicks. Yeah, Facebook groups? Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, Facebook uh, yeah. groups or go off into mm -hmm. these other neighborhood apps that unless you live in that neighborhood, you can't participate in. Okay. So yep. there could be... Closed groups. Yeah, closed groups. And... They because I'm pretty hard. Well, they can't. That's lot. right. And but I'm okay uh, being so old. Right. I'm okay yeah. not knowing things yeah. I don't know about. I'm okay <laughs> yeah. with. 
Well, that's why you hire a 30-year-old to take care of your social media but stuff. You that's kind of what I do. Do they worry? They don't worry like we do. No, no, they don't. No. At least we can blame somebody. <laughs> you know, that's why I got the 30-year-old on my Facebook. If, if something goes wrong, well, you know, not my fault. That's your job. We can, we can pass the buck. That's what old guys do. We just roll that rock down the hill. I accept full responsibility for my call. What the fuck? I, I do until something goes wrong. <laughs> About our social media, though, you mentioned that you know, we struggle to get. We have the youth excursion where we try to get young people to go to the basin and spend three days and teach them about co-ops and the power industry. We struggle to get sign-ups. Our mm-hmm. social media guy uh, stuck it out on TikTok, used that, got two youth excursion applications that we've never had before. Really? Yeah, so you see the power of social media. He's picked up several through yeah. Instagram and those I just apps, heard about TikTok for the first time last week. I, I don't have a clue what that is. I had to sign up to make sure, too. I'd heard of it, but I hadn't signed up. Now I've got it so I can watch the TikTok videos. Well, what about employees? Are you having trouble attracting employees at your co-op, particularly linemen, and finding the next generation of worker? Yeah, I think it's going to be a huge challenge. Uh, we're, we're unionized on, on our linemen side, and we're you've got to develop that relationship with your union so they can help provide a feeder program too. Um, fortunately, we've been pretty successful retaining those employees that have been good for the co-op for a good long time, but yeah, it's a, we're, we're competing against uh, big investor owns that pay a lot of money. That's what the That's, situation is at our place too. Yeah. We yeah. just lost two linemen recently to the investor owned and it was strictly a money thing. Our benefits were better, we could prove that to them, but they were young enough that all they were worried about was what the check was. I understand that, I get See, that, that, but and that's, what's going, that's what's going on in Michigan too. So here we have it, South Dakota, Wisconsin, Michigan, we're all, it's a highly competitive situation for employees. Yeah, absolutely, especially on the, out in the field. You know, they, these kids, they hear, they, and there's nothing wrong with going to college. I think we probably all did that, yep. you know, yep. around the table. And, some of us better than others, but Some we won't go so. there. We're yeah. running out of time. I, I actually brought my transcript. I thought yeah. I could share that. <laughs> yeah. Mine's framed on my wall at my office. Swing on by. But uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really tough, and and the the pay is uh, it's escalating faster than the rate of inflation. Yes. Yeah. By far. I, I would agree. And that's um, and that's it. that's the that's your reality for now. Could it switch? We've seen it. Recession, if it ever hits, it, it could be tough. But right now, it's it, it's a supply and demand. What yeah. concern I have is also is our staff positions, our upper staff, CFO, mm-hmm. those types of positions, especially where they're put into the headquarters office, where it's a smaller town. It's really more difficult, yeah. and even attracting people to yeah, rural America. To rural America, it's just very very difficult. It's going to take a lot to get, get them to stay or get them there in the first place and get them to stay is going to be very, very difficult. All right. Well, we're about to reach the end of our time. So what's one positive parting shot you'd like to leave the listeners as we step out of here today? You're better looking in person than you are on TV. Okay. Is that positive? Yeah, I don't know what that means, but... I can't top that. Just keep showing up, Tony. Okay. Just keep showing up. We'll, we'll May keep 3rd, showing up. May 3rd. We'll keep showing up. I, I want to thank you both. We've been friends a long time. We appreciate you taking the time here at the NRAC annual meeting and having this conversation. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Yep, thanks. Appreciate it.